feel like you were born in the wrong era? Do you pine for a time gone by? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Kaya Handley. Welcome to This Retro Life. It's been a very amazing experience going over to Viva Las Vegas and then being crowned dust and rough to my oxygen. Quite a few people say the first time they ever saw television, in fact, was actually at the milk bar. I feel like vintage clothes is really the way to experience the past. We come out a go-go girl gang because we dance, we wear these cute little outfits. So we took off in our newly polished old trailer and along the way we're in two accidents with it. Megan Hilty falls back on the table and sticks her feet up in the air in full 18th century dress. And there's our shoes. Hey! Are you ready to party? Great Gatsby style. Pull out your dance shoes, your flapper dresses and suave suits. We are going back to the 1920s, to a place that's quite literally stuck in the past, in the best possible way. It was a vintage festival that inspired this week's guest, Tamsin Smith, to embrace a vintage life and use her sewing skills for good to dress other vintage ladies in that 1920s and 1930s ways. Tamsin, welcome to This Retro Life. Thank you for having me. Let's start by talking about where you live, Napier in New Zealand, because I know of the Art Deco Festival and I guess my main knowledge around it is that it is a bit of an Art Deco town. Is that fair? Yes, I'd say Art Deco is the main draw card for anyone coming here, so it's a bit unique in that as a vintage lover, I'm not alone by any matter of means. (laughs) (laughs) That's really exciting. What is the history of Napier? So there was a big earthquake that just levelled the city completely and um, the rebuild happened during the 30s. So it was a completely blank canvas and allowed the architects to come in and just design whatever they wanted for the whole city centre. So we've ended up with this beautiful Art Deco masterpiece. And I mean, sure, a bit of it's been lost in the 70s and 80s, but a lot of it's still there. And it's really grown from being something that was kind of a result of a horrible event to just really being embraced. Does that mean that there's really interesting Art Deco and 30s elements that you see from inspiration right around the world at that time? Yes, and also the fact that there were really only two architects. So talk us through some of the the Art Deco influences that you see on a daily basis. I live in a part of the city that was new, so... The earthquake didn't just create rubble out of the existing city, but it also raised up huge areas of what previously was swamp and, you know, the sea just receded. So there's a lot more land as well. And the area that I live in previously would have been below sea level. And so there's lots of Art Deco houses around this area too. So just walking around the streets of an evening, it's lovely to see them all. And they're all painted up beautifully. But also through the city centre, we've got some gorgeous landmarks. There's the Sound Shell, which is right down by the waterfront. And that's one of the key areas during the Art Deco Festival, in fact, when they've got big bands playing there each night and there's picnickers and dancers and just families out having fun. And we've got the um, flying displays going on overhead with the acrobatic planes from the era too. It really is the whole city having a big festival. Yeah, it's great that they've embraced it as well, that they can see that that's what's made them special. And I know lots of people from Australia who travel over to Napier every year to attend the Art Deco Fest. So it's really got quite a name for itself. Yes, definitely. And in fact, there are some lovely friends that I've made as well from Australia too, and from around the world. Um, There's people coming from America, from the UK, 
it's really quite eye-opening to realise just how much Napier's been put on the map. I mean, it calls itself the Art Deco capital of the world, and it's not until you really start attending a few events that you realise how true that is. Is that why you live there, or were you just lucky to be born into this 1920s Art Deco city? No, I'm quite recent, actually. I've not even been living here for a year yet. So I moved down from Auckland pretty much because I loved the Art Deco festivals so much and I'd been attending for so many years that it just seemed like the right thing to do. And it certainly has been. I'm loving living down here. You are the the marketing dream. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Where has your love for this 20s, 30s period come from? It actually came from my dancing. So I've always danced, but it was probably about five years ago that I came upon swing dancing. And with that, met so many lovely people, vintage lovers who love swing dancing too. It all goes together, the fashion style and the dancing. And through that, I got invited down to stay with someone at Art Deco Festival, gosh, yeah, probably five or six years ago. And I was just blown away by it. I didn't really know anything about 20s and 30s fashion at that point, but I was completely immersed in it and haven't looked back. Wow, so it's been quite a a new passion for you. Yeah, relatively. I mean, I've always had an interest in history and vintage fashion. I studied costume design well before that, so... It's always been there, I suppose, but it was attending that weekend that just made me realise, hang on, actually, I've got the perfect figure for 20s fashion and there's so much variety and it's just so much fun too. It really was such a a fun era when you look at the dancing and the music, you know, the jazz, the syncopated dance music that we know of because of the Charleston. It was one big party. Yeah, it was. And that was great because it's not a party like what we think of as well with, you know, your rock and roll and your over drinking and all of that. But it's just fun. (laughs) I don't know if that really comes across until you come here and you realize that the whole city just has this great feeling and you, you don't get the same kind of, you know, even if it's late at night, you feel so comfortable wandering around and everyone's friendly and it's just a great atmosphere. How do you think the fun of that era is shown through the fashion, through the clothes and through the designs that you're now bringing to life nearly 100 years later? Hard to believe that it is 100 years later, really. I think they're very carefree. That really shows, I think, in a lot of the women's fashions that are moving away from being sort of exaggeratedly feminine. There's a lot more androgyny and less focus on curves corsets, all of those things. So, yeah, it can be quite freeing. I mean, the first few decos before I was living here in particular, I spent the whole weekend with no phone, no bra, no shoes, and just... It was was so much fun, so free. I just, I didn't have any plans. I hadn't booked into any events and you just wandered around and saw where life took you. I can't believe we're nearly in the 20s again. We can only hope that in 2020 that that sort of carefree attitude will return. Yeah. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Don't think we're dropping our phones anytime soon, though. No, unlikely. (laughs) Was it as part of you attending the festival that you started dabbling in in sewing pieces from this era? Pieces from this era, yeah. I mean, before that, I was actually, I was thinking I might go into a business making corsets or, you know, more Victorian type fashions as well. But I've completely changed, you know, changed tack there. (laughs) There's a huge difference, but they're both still quite intricate designs. If you look at early 1900s, late 18th century, and even the 1920s stuff, even though they're very different, they're, they're still 
very intricate designs, the 1920s pieces. Yeah, and it's it's great to really study some of those original pieces as well. I mean, I personally don't have a very big collection, but I'm lucky enough to be able to borrow from people who have some exquisite pieces. And I find with every garment that I'm able to really look at how it's constructed, I learn so much. There are some very techniques and ways that they achieve the skimming of the figure and the way the appliques and all these different details are added to the garment. Um, I really, really do enjoy having an original and being able to to learn everything possible from it and reproduce it. So you are trying to recreate a, a lot of what we see in those true vintage garments? Yeah, definitely. I think the closer I can get it, the happier I am. <laughs> is it hard to do? You know, these vintage pieces are, as we've been saying, nearly 100 years old, but is there a lot of other resources that you can use, patterns, tutorials, magazines, to, to give you that information to recreate uh, pieces today? Yeah, there's a huge amount. I mean, I've really barely scratched the surface but it's just you know every possible moment that you can there's more to learn but I think for me personally I enjoy looking at the fashion plates and trying to work out how they went together as well some of them are drawn with such detail that you really can almost see how all the pattern pieces go together and then when you find an original garment that's got a similar detail and you go you know, you, you find out if you were right or not. It's, it can be quite a fun moment. <laughs> no doubt this is where your your costume design background comes into to play. Yes, very useful. Is there much demand for the pieces that you make, the 1920s pieces? Yeah, there is actually. And I guess I sound surprised, but it's really only in the last year that I've really focused on it and tried to grow it. And I've had my first few international customers, and that's a bit scary, but really fun as well to know that I'm sending things to France or Australia or America it's great (laughs) it shows just how small the world is I think yes yeah yeah what do you think it is about the silhouette of the 20s that is still quite sought after for women today that's a good question I mean I can speak for myself and for a couple of other people but I don't know if it's going to be the same for everyone. Yeah. I mean, for me, they're very comfortable. They're very um, easy to wear. We in Napier are blessed with a very warm climate, so they're very well suited to that. But they can also be very fun to layer up in winter as well. I mean, I don't wear it every day. I like to save it for occasions so that it's a bit more special that way for me. Particularly for me, I'm small. I've never had the curves that, you know, pin-up fashions and 40s and 50s fashions look so amazing on. So I always felt a little bit like, oh, that's just, you know, I love it, but it doesn't love me. (laughs) And so, yeah, finding 20s and 30s, I just realized this is what I was designed for. (laughs) Yeah, it's what fits and feels best. Exactly, yeah. We all go on... A vintage journey to find whatever our era is and sometimes it's driven by history and sometimes it's driven by confidence and what makes us feel good it can it can really depend and when you're talking to women who are ordering dresses from you or who you meet down the street who are also wearing 1920s is there a bit of a, a sisterhood there yeah definitely there's a lot of ladies who make their own as well that's blown me away there are some talented people out there who are doing exactly the same sort of things as me, and that's great. It's not just bringing back the the fashion from 100 years ago. It's bringing back some of their mentalities as well. In, in terms of when you're making an item, that is very similar to how women would have ordered dresses back in, in the 20s instead of the fast fashion that we see today. There's certainly a lot more um, hand-sewing work, I think, in these types of garments as well than what we would see in the shops today. 
So it's a lot more personal that way as well. Do you feel like, especially as someone who loves uh, fashion and, and the history of fashion, that you are keeping perhaps some of these hidden skills alive in, in the dresses that you create? I suppose you could say that, yeah. I, I certainly enjoy learning them. I do, I do wish I had more time to put into that because it is very time-consuming. But just, you know, every now and then I'll make the time and do a piece that really is very labour-intensive and very much worth it too, I like to think. Is that mainly for you when you have a special occasion to go somewhere? Not necessarily for me. It's often a piece that I just want to make and it doesn't actually end up being mine, but it's not made for anyone else either. So some of those are the things that you'll see listed on my Etsy shop. Um, some of the few that aren't custom made, but aren't for my own wardrobe either. If I made everything I wanted to make for me, then I would be well out of wardrobe space by now. <laughs> well, that, that takes a lot of self-control not to. Yes, it does, yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds odd, but quite often it's the process that I enjoy the most. And I don't feel like I need to have it for myself afterwards, but I've just really enjoyed making it. There must be a lot of joy that comes as well from these days with with social media and the vintage community is so prominent on, say, Instagram or Facebook. Once you've toiled over a piece and then to see the woman that has bought it and wearing it and showing it off and getting great comments, that must be a real buzz. Oh, definitely, yes, yeah. And I'm only very recent to Instagram as well, so I'm just realising what I was missing out on all those years as well. (laughs) Well, the the next Napier Festival, then you won't be able to put down your phone, I don't think, if you're new to Instagram. (laughs) I'm going to have to start designing pockets into my dresses, I think. (laughs) You mentioned the dancing element as well. Is this something that you've been able to continue in your move to to Napier and been able to, to keep up? Yes, so in fact, when we moved, my partner and I moved to Napier, there was no swing dancing school, so we decided to set one up ourselves. Neither of us had ever taught before, but we've created the Heidi Ho Swing School. And in fact, just this week, we taught our first class of this year. We had 48 students in our beginners class. So there was obviously a gap in the market here. (laughs) And we're just blown away by the support we've had and are so happy that we can continue dancing here, not just with each other, but with a big group of new friends. How are you feeling being the teacher? I'm very lucky that my partner has a good teaching voice and he can be heard over the music. If it was just <laughs> me, I'd be struggling. <laughs> but no, I've, I'm really enjoying it now. Um, it's just great to see everyone really being able to dance now. I feel like it's working. <laughs> Between us, we can actually teach. There's something really special about watching a couple whether you're at an event or whether you're you know there's just music and an older couple gets up there's something really special about watching a couple who know how to get on the dance floor and dance together not in that sort of bumping and grinding way do you think that that is also a bit of a lost art that we should be seeing more definitely it is growing like if you look at the swing dancing worldwide there's there's a lot of people out there in New Zealand. It's, I think it's definitely got the potential to get bigger because, I mean, we've only we've only been going since May and, like I say, we've got huge classes and we're really happy with how many people are wanting to try it. And we want more young people too, if anyone hears this. <laughs> <laughs> we've certainly noticed that there's a huge support from the rock and rollers and, the, um, and lots of other people who do ballroom and salsa and various dance forms. And we're learning some of that too. And one of the things about moving to Napier has certainly been in Auckland it was very much, you know, you've got the swing dancers and you've got the salsa dancers and everyone goes to their own separate events and they're very um, separate communities. Whereas mm. down here, 
doesn't really matter what sort of dance you do, you go to the same events and there's a real mix of music. And so we've been learning ballroom and we've really enjoyed getting to know a much bigger community that was already here as well. As someone who's danced for a long time with your partner, what do you gain as a couple from being able to hit the dance floor and know exactly what to do? A lot of fun. <laughs> you can be really silly with it. Um, swing dancing is not a serious dance. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of funny faces pulled and ridiculous moves as well. I think knowing someone as, as well as that, you certainly don't feel like you have to behave. <laughs> Why do you think we should all learn to dance in this way, no matter how old we are? Well, we've got in our class people between, I don't know how young the youngest is, but I would say in the range of sort of 20 to 70, and everyone loves it. So I think it's, like I say, it's just a bit of a goofy, silly dance. So you don't have to be a dancer to do it. Some of the moves, you'd be surprised, you know, you might recognise them from much more recent dance forms as well. Like there's a lot of crossover between the solo jazz and um, hip-hop, if you look it up on YouTube, you can see people really mixing the two and it works. So, yeah, it's just the fun of it. And being able to dance, being led or, or learning to follow, that's a really challenging thing as well. That was what I found the hardest to learn. But once you've got it, it's a feeling unlike any other, really being able to move with someone else, not just in time to the music, but following their steps or being followed as well. Yeah. So you can really feel like you're flying. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you said uh, learning to lead or, or, or following because I think that's where I'd fall down a little bit. It's not being in control. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really fun if you can manage to learn both roles too. I mean, I'm still quite an amateur lead, but yeah, it feels good to be able to do both things. It's been so great to chat with you. You've definitely sold uh, Napier as a place, a must-visit place if we're into vintage. So I can't wait to see you at a festival soon. Yeah, hope so. That's it for this episode of This Retro Life. You can find us on Wooshka, iTunes and Stitcher where you can subscribe and, of course, rate and review us so it's easier for other guys and gals to find this podcast. To get more information on today's guest, head to our website, thisretrolife.com or search This Retro Life on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We have some photos and videos and behind the scenes and a whole heap more retro fun, so do come and check us out. As always, if you're a vintage guy or gal from any era and into anything from cars to collectibles, we'd love to hear from you. Go to thisretrolife.com and drop us a line. Until next time, I'm Kai Handley. Thanks for listening to This Retro Life.